Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven, and today, I'm actually recording in the daylight, we're going to be talking about, give me one second, we're going to talk about haunted places in Pennsylvania, and I have eight of them, and we're going to talk about them, and I kind of want to go to some. So the first place we're going to talk about is called the Barnsworth House Inn, and that is located in Gettysburg. And somewhere between 1810, it was built. And today it is the local tourist attraction that operates both as an inn and a tourist shop. That's pretty cool. And it's located, like I said, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It is believed to be extremely haunted due to its connections with the Battle of Gettysburg that took place in the 1960s. The land on which the Farnsworth House Inn was built was initially owned by a person named Alexander Dobbins. And then they later sold it to a man named John F. McFarlane, recorded as the home's, it was recorded as being the home's first resident McFarlane owned the land until his death in 19 I'm sorry not 19 in 1851 after his passing the bank of Gettysburg took ownership of this home from there it would pass to several owners until finally being sold in 1972 to the Schultz family who maintained ownership to this day it is the Schultz family who first reported that paranormal entities inhabited the residence. As an interesting aside, before the Schultz family bought the inn, it was owned by a black family who ran it under the name the Sleepy Hollow Inn. The blacks, this is what it says. I'm just reading what it says on my notes. They advertised her in using the historical fact that the home had 135 bullet holes riddled into one of its sides as a result of, you know, the Battle of Gettysburg taking place in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The battle is the sole reason to why so many places in and around the city are said to be haunted. A staggering amount of deaths have occurred in that time, numbering in tens and thousands. As a result, the lost as a result, the lost spirits who died in the war are thought to haunt much of Gettysburg. I know if you're from Pennsylvania, um, when you were in elementary school, you know you would always take a trip. I I took a trip in elementary school. Babe, did you go to Gettysburg for a field trip? You did? Okay. So people in Pennsylvania you know, you saw, you got to go to Gettysburg and all of that. I think that's one of the things I just remember of <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> all right. Being present during the Battle of Gettysburg, the Farnsworth House Inn was occupied by Confederate forces who utilized the structure as a makeshift hospital and headquarters, a practice that was common during the war. Many of the surrounding homes and buildings would often become centers for planning attacks and treating the wounded. 
it is from this practice that many such places acquired their tales of hauntings over the years. Unfortunate as it was, these makeshift wards saw countless deaths and injuries to soldiers who were often treated by civilians. During the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Union soldiers stormed the inn, killing many Confederate snipers who were posted within. These snipers had been stationed there to utilize the towering structure in attempt to pick off Union soldiers as they crossed the nearby cemetery hill. We're going to talk about some paranormal a little bit. That was a little bit of backstory for people who don't know about Gettysburg. The Schultz family claims that a whopping 16 spirits occupied the residence, each one having its own name and personality. The spirits include an eight-year-old boy, several soldiers, a former midwife, seeing as how the residence was indeed used as a hospital, like I said, during the battle. The sightings of a midwife and soldiers seemed to validate their claims. With many members of the Confederate Army who died in the home, it leaves little doubt as to why so many apparitions of soldiers are claimed to have been seen. They say that these soldiers continue to patrol the house as if they're stuck in a continuous loop, forever fulfilling their military duties. There have been numerous reports over the years of guests hearing the sound of heavy breathing, along with the strong scent of cigars, perhaps once smoked by the commanding officer that used the home as a temporary headquarters. A very eerie account to say the least is what most certainly attributed to the ghostly midwife guests who have stayed at the end have experienced the sensation of being tucked into bed once under their covers that's a little creepy might freak me out and there are several photographs of an entity in a window that people have captured from the street below These most commonly came from a particular room referred to as the Sarah Black Room, named after one of the family members who who previously owned the residence. This room is by and large considered the most haunted in any of the house. One more common encounters with the the inn seems to occur only in the dead of night when it's all quiet and calm in the empty attic the sound of a the sound of a jew's harp can be heard playing tunes throughout the night it's believed to have been played by a young sh- soldier while at his post this creepy event is sure to scare the socks off of anyone who might be staying that night Disembodied footsteps are also a common occurrence as if pacing or patrolling up and down the halls. While fulfilling their daily tasks, employees have attested to feeling the sensation of being followed around while working. Of course, when they turn around, obviously no one's there, but 
these footsteps are said to be quite loud and very obvious. Ghastly silhouettes have been seen by many Patreon, not Patreons, <laughs> many people in the inn, including employees. They say these apparitions are visible in several rooms and they quickly vanish after making themselves known. Rude. Stop and say hi. Don't just disappear when I walk in. One such figure that is very seen. Let me redo that again. One figure is predominantly seen in the dining room. But others have been witness sitting on the edges of guest, guest beds. It has even been said that the mattresses will invert where the ghost is sitting as if weight is being applied. While male apparitions are mostly seen at the end, there are, you know, some accounts of female spirits thought to have lived within the residence long ago. And it's said to be extremely lifelike, and a lot of people mistake her, you know, just as a staff member. Let's talk about the cranky kitchen cook. She's described as an older gal who is dressed in the 19th century clothing and is most often seen roaming about between the halls, hallways, tavern, and the kitchen where she has been spotted looking over products on the shelf as if she was deciding what she'll fix for dinner. In what appears to be an effort to make her presence known, she will sometimes frequent the restaurant area, where she behaves ra rather rudely to the eatery staff. She has been physical with them, as one wait waitress claims to have to have pulled from behind her apron strings, causing her nearly to fall backwards. Don't do that. That's not nice. It sounds like this particular demonic entity does not take too kindly to cooking that isn't hers. <laughs> Makes sense. So far, she appears to not be the on only otherworldly force at the inn that is, you know, a violent force you can say there is however one there is however a more lighthearted tale to be told out of all the hauntings in the inn <clears throat> and it says a few years back during halloween a local radio station was doing a special broadcast from the inn that involved the crew dressing up in blue costumes in an interesting twist they kept referring to the radio host as captain their blue clothing and repeated use of captains seemed to stir up the ghosts in, of the soldiers who were seen on that particular evening more so than any other time. They all witnessed running around all over the inn as if they were frightened, I'm sorry, as if they were fighting the Battle of Gettysburg all over again. So, conclusion. Presently, the inn is a major tourist attraction for lovers of all things. You know, you got your paranormal. Its rich history serves as a backdrop for all otherworldly activity that occurs inside the walls. With the claim, you know, of the 16 different entities that inhabit the grounds, 
one shouldn't have to look very far to find a poltergeist. Listen, y'all know I like spooky stuff, but a poltergeist, no, we're not doing that. Ghost walks and tours are actually available to the public, offering an inside look into the history that went into making the Farnsworth House Inn what it is today. Every weekend in real life, ghost hunts are held allowing people to bring whatever kind of investigating equipment they wish in hopes of capturing one of the inn's many specters. Ah, listen. I'm going here. Send my kids to their grandmas, and I'm going. The owners are so confident in the frequency of paranormal activity, they say that the guests don't even have to try to find the ghost. The ghost will most likely find the guests. So that is the story about the Farnsworth House Inn. And the next thing we are going to talk about is a, this one was actually pretty interesting to me. It is a um, historic jail museum. So, you know, there's a lot of creepy stuff that happens in a jail. So we all know this. And I think, I believe it's in Franklin County and it's an old jail museum that might be, you know, mo- the most haunted. So let's, let's see. There's no denying the weird feeling you get when you step into a lower cell, into the lower cell block of Franklin County Historic Jail. After operating for about 85 years, the jail is now preserved as a museum for anyone to visit. Paranormal investigators stop there all the time because it's been dubbed as the most haunted jail museum. In fact, you know, there's this thing that says, you know, you're invited to tag along. And that's all I... Oh, no, I found more. And if you go, you know, you can see the stuff they use. So let's talk about what's so special about this jail museum. Famed bootlegger and gang leader Charlie Bigger, Berger, no, Bragger, Bragger, served time in the Franklin County Jail. He was hanged at the jail in Benton, Illinois. In fact, Charlie was the last person to be executed by public hanging in the state. Evidently, some investigators claim to have seen his ghost hanging from the gallows just outside the lower cell block. Bill Owens, a volunteer at the jail, gave Heartland Weekend an insider look at what makes this attraction worthy of a visit. And, you know, they can say, like, you see for yourself. And that's all I found for that one. So that's a short one. Next, we're going to be talking about Ghost of Pittsburgh. I used to live up in this small town called Johnstown, not too far. It was like a couple hours away. And this is called the Cathedral of Learning. And it was one of the places, so I looked it up. Let's see if we can find. All right. So, one woman claims that there's some paranormal activity happening on the third floor of this place. Her name is Maxine, and she knows about all the haunted early American nationality room. 
And this is what she said. I, I'm guessing this is what um, she experienced and it was just written. The quilt was messed up, so she smoothed it out, put it under the pillows, turned around to go under the rope, and heard a swish. She looked back, and the quilt had burnt. The quilt had been turned down, and there was a dent in the pillow. Maxine said, "She convinced the ghost. She's convinced that the ghost is her grandma. She said her grandma is there because of the wedding quilt that she made more than a hundred and twenty years ago. Adores adorns the bed. That's crazy. That's oof." She said, Grandma came to live with us. I gave her my bedroom. I gave her my bed. And we became best friends. Maxine said her grandmother visits her frequently. And she remembers one instance while sleeping on the floor near the bed. She said, I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to see if she'll come visit me. Access to the room is through a slit of a doorway around the corner and up a creaky narrow stairs. The barely passable steps are apparently no problem for Grandma. A swish happened right above her head, and then another swish happened, and then suddenly, bang. Right above my head, something hit, and I just stiffened. What's going to happen next? I did not know, Maxine said. She whirled around to see what made the noise. It turned out my shoulder bag, after an hour and a half, an hour and a half, had decided to screech off the chair and hit the floor. And it had my water bottle in it. She said she got up and, she, and after that she got up and said, "Grandma, you can have this damn room." And she said she went home. Same. So every Hall- every Halloween she gathers twenty or twenty five others to sit in the room and tell stories and she's not all surprised to have grandma join them suddenly a cradle the cradle rocked just three times she said that was it she knows it didn't move because she knows she it didn't move because someone bumped it this is what happens when i touch it it goes 14 times only grandma can make it rock three times and that's that little story for you guys. That was pretty interesting. And the next one we are going to be talking about is... Let me find it. Oh. Hold on. The next one we're going to be talking about is Mischler's Theater. It's in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Once again, I'm very familiar with Altoona. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about let's talk about the history in this one because there was a lot of history. The historic theater opened in 1906. It was designed for a man named Isaac Charles Misch- Mischler who owned and managed the 11th Avenue Opera House. The theater had gone through a terrible fire. It was eventually rebuilt, and it continued to flourish until the 1920s. The building 
continues to remain open in operation today, but it is home to several ghosts, including Mr. Mishler, a howling dog. That's a little... I mean, I didn't think dogs, you know, could or animals could be ghosts as well. Um, but hey, you find something out every day. In a female, in a female spirit, who is said to likely play pranks in the restroom. No, that's not okay. <laughs> so like I said, it was built in 1906, and the theater was once a host to all the great performers in the. Vaduville Theater. Today it is home to many culture culture of culture culture events throughout the year. The uncovered testimony of a teenage girl claims the ghost of Mr. Mishler haunts this beautiful building, and her name is Madeline Lachette befriended the founder of the Altoona Historical Historic Mishler Theater when her mother Laura would help the theater with productions. Over the years many stage crew members, actors, office workers, and visitors have heard, seen, or even felt Isaac Mishler's presence. The faint smell of cigarette smoke, the apparition of a familiar man wearing funny hats, restroom sinks mysteriously turning on and off with nobody in sight, and a figure dressed in the early 1900s clothing. These are just a few personal accounts of some people who have recalled to describe their visit to the theater. Isaac, the theater's founder, decided not to leave the century-old theater even after his death, according to local legend. These paranormal experiences are but only one element that make this historical and culture-rich site in Altoona, Blair County, so intriguing. Yeah, because there's nothing to do up there, let me tell you. And then, that's that. So that's some spooky stuff for you. That you can hear about all of that stuff. And then, you know, if you want to visit, they have visiting instructions. So that's pretty cool. They, here, we'll read some. So please submit a photo of any photos taken by you of your visit to the location of the, of the non-copyrighted photos only. GPS photos are accepted with the location in the background. And old vacation photos are accepted. Photos you took of paranormal activity are great, obviously. You, if you are not able to provide a photo, then please describe your visit or give a story about the visit. So they say, you know, if you felt, saw, smelled or anything, post pictures of what you see. If you have any more information about this location, um, you can do contact them and you contact the Waymark owner to see if it can be added to the description. They say, you know, be careful and do not enter areas that are marked off limits or look dangerous use your sixth sense because sometimes there are unseen things which can tell you to stay out you know normal stuff every day when something fell off on the ledge above my deep freezer in the middle of the night when everybody was sleeping my sixth sense kicked in and said heaven don't go over there and look so i didn't 
Um, they also say when you use your camera, when using your camera flash, um, be careful so you don't disrupt any possible nearby residents and everything like that. So if you want to visit that, there are some visiting instructions as well. I'm probably going to go there too. And the next case we're going to talk about is called um, Jean, I think it's like a bar. I think it's called Jean Bonnet. Bonnet. Okay, yep. Jean Bonnet Bonnet Tavern and they say it's haunted. So we're about to about to see. It has been said that there is more to the lore of the Jean Bonnet that is than its charming atmosphere, historical past, and excellent food and drink. There are some stories of haunting and ghostly encounters. Indeed, some visitors are drawn to the tavern in hopes of having an unearthly encounter themselves. Sightings and odd happenings have been experienced by both employees and guests at the Jean Bonnet. Alright, so let's, let's get into it. So perhaps one of the most dramatic sightings occurred years after, or sorry, years before the present owners purchased the building. It happened to a female bartender and her male friend. One night, the bartender was working with a friend of her, and a friend of hers came in. Through the course of the evening, the fellow had a little bit too much to drink. When it time to came clo to close up, she and her male companion were afraid to let you know him drive, which good on her, good job. As you know, he ended up actually just living nearby, so she decided, "I'm just gonna lock it up." I'm going to take the man home, and then when she comes back, she can finish just cleaning up and then call it a night and go out. The woman had the keys, and she knew this would be fine with the owners, which that's good because you don't want anybody to drive drunk. Guys, I don't care what anybody says. If you get in a car with somebody and they say, oh, I only had one drink, I'll be fine. No, call your mom, call your friend, call your brother, sister, aunt, grandma. Call somebody. Please do not get in the car with them. I tell, We tell our kids that all the time. We don't care if it's 2, 4, 10 o'clock, a.m., p.m., We tell, especially our oldest, and he's only six, but hey, whatever. We tell them, we rather, we, we rather you be safe than get a call, you know, saying, we're sorry, your son didn't make it, or, you know, your daughter. So <laughs> their father always says, we might be mad at first, but your safety is number one, and that is what we care about. So we, we tell them all the time. Just don't drink and drive. So, anyway, they took the man home, and she returned to the bar. And when they walked along the porch, they glanced in the window of the bar. And sitting there was a solitaire, solitary man who was just, you know, casually sipping a drink. This was very impossible because they had made sure the bar was empty before leaving. But still, somehow, you know, this guy had gotten in. 
Quickly, they unlocked the door and they hurried into the bar, but when they got in there, nobody was there. But that building is super big. So they're thinking, you know, did the man hear them and come in and hide? The two immediately ruled out anyone hiding in the upper levels because they had the key that unlocked the iron grill work that separated the bar from those floors. So there was no way he could get upstairs. However, someone could have gone down the stairs to the restaurant. They mounted a search, but they still didn't find anybody inside. This upset the woman so much that after duly reporting the events to the owners, she did not mention the story. So like I did say, employees were not the only ones to experience hauntings. Guests have had it as experienced things as well. So for instance, a man named Scott Crownover decided to spend the night at the tavern to see if he would have an encounter. He invited a group of friends and a few members of the Central Pennsylvania Paranormal Association along. The group would not be disappointed. They rented the attic apartment that was then for let okay that was then for let and down to dinner that makes no sense but i'm just reading it afterwards they ended up afterwards they went up to the bar where one of the men felt someone touch him they were discussing oh i'm sorry they were discussing that a woman heard them come them and came over she said the conversation had caught her ear and she had just experienced being touched by someone at the edge of the bar a little earlier. Absolutely not. Time to pack your stuff and go. She too insisted that nobody else was near her. Later that evening, another member in the group named Al Frendiza was in the bar watching the activity. Now Al is a now Al is a confirmed non-drinker, so he felt a little bit out of place at the bar. However, he tried to concentrate upon his feelings despite the loud voices in the piano playing at the other end of the room. Suddenly, he glanced at the one doorway that led into the hallway. Looking through the door, there were a group of people people in rough clothes. Al called them frontier type clothes. I don't know what the hell that means, but yeah, that's what he said they look like. This group was watching the man play piano at the other end. Al describes his experience as a as like trying to watch two television shows at once. He was aware of the real people at the bar, but he was also equally drawn by those looking in from another time. This lasted for a few seconds, but when he looked away and looked back again, they were gone. Ooh. And this story is about a past owner who, you know, obviously owned the tavern, and her name is Melissa Jacobs. So soon after purchasing the tavern, Melissa began to notice that every time she went past the door, to the unrented attic apartment the door would be in a different position if it was closed 
when she first passed it, then when, then it would be wide open a few minutes later as she came by. Fuck no. I would not do it. Even though I love ghosts. No. <laughs> One morning she noticed this um, occurring several times and she decided that someone had gotten into the building somehow and she thought they were playing a trick on her. Melissa went into her office in the tavern on the second level to await a salesman who was coming in. When the man arrived, Melissa explained the situation to him and asked if he would accompany her on a search of the building. And this guy was a gentleman. And, you know, he agreed. He said, yep, come on, Melissa, let's go. Let's, let's see what's going on. The two went past the apartment that was open as they began searching the bedroom level. A few minutes later, they went by again, that same door, but it was closed. No one was found in the apartment or on any other level in the building, and the doors were locked by locked securely from the inside. The salesman was baffled by the strange door, as Melissa was. So that's pretty creepy. And that's about the tavern. And we have two more that I'm going to do for you. And this one is actually called. This one was pretty interesting to me. It is the Bethlehem, Bethlehem Hotel. Obviously, it's in Pennsylvania. All right. This is one of the most active spectral hotspots in Pennsylvania, they say. And yes, indeed, the hotel offers the full paranormal sport package featuring past residents and workers. I kind of want to go to all of these, even though I'm a little terrified. So let's talk about some history. The hotel was fully restored, is a fully restored seven-story hotel, while the building is a credit to its original 1920s style. The hotel has also been renovated with modern amenities, to please its upscale clientele and business travelers. This historic hotel offers state-of-the-art hotel meeting facilities, elegant, well-appointed accommodations, and award-winning dining. Hotel Bethlehem offers 128 elegant restored guest rooms and suits in rich hues of navy and gold. A variety of guest rooms with king, queen, or double beds all have the traditional colonial decor. The views from the windows are often a spectacular mountainside or streetside view, which I would prefer me the mountainside view because uh, that's I, my dream. For guests who want something special, the hotel offers a choice of suits, the king executive, oversized room with a sitting area, one-bedroom suite, sitting room with a separate bedroom, and the governor's suite, living room with dining room and a separate bedroom, and then lastly, the presidential suite, large living room with two bedrooms and two bathrooms. On the first floor, the lobby and other areas, beautiful tapestries can be found on the walls. Um, basically showing like important moments in Bethlehem's history. Windows on the first floor are nearly floor to ceiling 
letting in lots of light and providing a great view of city of the city. I'm looking at a picture. It really does look beautiful, guys. I'll post these on my Facebook group. So now we're going to get into more of the history. The plot of land in which this upscale hotel sits on has two other buildings that were originally built there. In 1741, a simple rustic tavern was built by the founders of Bethlehem, a people known as Moravians who founded the town. It was in this cabinet that this city, Bethlehem, was given its name on Christmas Eve in 1974. And shortly after, Bethlehem became, began to boom. The need for a hotel was so evident. So the cabin was torn down in 19, I'm sorry, in 1821. And a hotel called the Eagle was built in the cabin's place. Probably the same owners of the Mavoria Church. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, so I apologize. Also owned by the Sun Inn, a combination tavern slash with second floor accommodations for visitors. And the Eagle Hotel handled the overflow of guests from the Sun Inn. Sometime in the early 1900s, the Eagle Hotel was torn down, and in 1920, a financial entrepreneur named Charles Schwab bought the property and built a grand upscale seven-floor hotel, a place for his wealthy business associates and clients to spend the night while visiting him. So, the hotel... Throughout the following years, has had over three owners. The current owners have been um, doing many restoration slash renovation projects throughout the building, moving closer to fully restoring the Hotel Bethlehem to its former glory. So we're going to talk about the history of manifestations. So like I said, guest employees and owners of places of businesses such as hotels love their time love their time there so much that after passing from their life in this world they visit or decide to stay earthbound to relive or get their chuckles from the living who are currently involved especially if the spirits had to leave due to unexpected circumstances like sudden death or experienced troubles of this world that changed their lives francis daddy thomas was a cabinet marker by trade who found great satisfaction later in life welcome, welcoming and attending to visitors to Bethlehem, helping, find, helping people find and settle in, being guest of Eagle Hotel when it first opened, fitting the role as Bethlehem town guide. Francis was known for his kindness and sense of fun. He was much loved by all who, you know, experienced him but unfortunately he died in 1822 during the first year of the eagle hotel's existence just when he found a very fulfilling activity he eventually died at the age of 90 man poor francis unfortunately the church didn't do their due diligence in finding out about mr and mrs wrong 
before hiring Miss Miss Brong to be an innkeeper for the hotel Eagle Hotel in 1833, imagine the horror when Mr. Brong was shown to be a roaring drunk and Mrs. Brong would go without shoes and stockings while serving the guests. Miss Brong was fired from a position she loved and forced to leave because of, you know, her rebellious nature. Sometimes spirits want to spend their afterlife in a place where they had lots of good memories and things to remember. May Yohi, the granddaughter of Caleb Yohi, innkeeper and owner of the Eagle Hotel, was born there in 1866 and grew up at the Eagle Hotel. She left to sing and dance for guests after being sent to Paris to study opera by the Moravian Church. She became a well-known Victorian singer-actress, becoming very successful in the world of music on stage in 1888. Unfortunately, she had trouble with committing to the opposite sex, which brought her unhappiness to her personal life. People who commit suicide because they can't face their reality in this world often don't find peace they yearned from, yearned for on the other side. A man named Frank Smith was an employee at the Eagle Hotel, and he held an important job as he had an office and secretary in the hotel itself. On the third floor, after a business deal went sour, he couldn't live with the consequences of failure and unfortunately he ended up shooting himself in the bathroom in the bathroom of his office. Oh, that's rough. And it says that a male entity from the 1700s cabin seems to still dwell there in the hotel. Like I said, Hotel Bethlehem is rated by many to be one of the most active paranormal spots, hotspots in Pennsylvania, making it popular making it a popular pace, place for paranormal investigators. So, paranormal activity has been reported in a room 392, named by the hotel room with a boo. A male entity wearing a undershirt and boxer shorts likes to appear at the bedside of guests who stay in room 932 in the wee hours of the morning. He asks one couple, why are you in my room? He disappeared in front of, the, in front of them. And then, you know, he startled the guests when hastily, when they hastily turned on the lights. One woman guest went into the bathroom and saw a completely different room for a moment. One with pink wallpaper. Lights blink on and off by themselves. Papers fly off the room's desk by an unseen force. General paranormal activity that has been reported in many other rooms of this old hotel. Images are seen on the mirrors. Cold spots are felt in un unexpected cool breezes are felt on the third floor. Thought to be caused by the entity of Frank Smith. Disembodied voices are heard. Objects in room, items and objects are moved around various rooms. Sounds of children can be heard playing in the halls other male and female apparitions and or shadows make an appearance appearance or make their presence known to um its guests and its staff 
So you can probably see Francis. He um, likes to take care of his guests in a fun way or a playful way, you might say. And it said that he has been seen down in the boiler room. So that's pretty, um, that's pretty crazy. A child, a little entity, may, thought to be May, seems to be reliving her time in her life when she was the most happiest. Little May has made herself visible in the exercise room located on the third floor on the climbing equipment. And she also likes to play in the lobby. She is thought to be the one to turn on the piano and sing along to the music. And back to the, you know, 1700s man who was a Mavorian settler. Staff members have reportedly reported that he moves quickly around the basement, sometimes startling staff by tapping on their shoulders. No thank you, sir. And finally, the last one we are going to be talking about today is the ghost of Newcastle's Hillview Manor. <clears throat> All right. So, in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, working farms and homes for the elderly were commonplace. The Newcastle City Home which had been around since 1867, was reaching a point where a new facility was needed. Bids for a new, for a new Lawrence County home to, for the age were being accepted starting in June of 1925. Five, a bid and designed by A.L. Thayer, an architect, were eventually accepted and constructed the new facility being the official opening for the new facility, which had multiple names over the years, was in 1926. People tasked with running the Lawrence County Home for the Age were Perry and Mary Snyder. They had previously been in charge of the Newcastle City Home that the new facility was replacing. The Snyders moved into the new facility with their two children and 12 staff members. The new facility featured three main sections. There was a two-story west wing where the men were to be housed and a two-story east wing for the woman in the three-story center section. The se center section was boasted a kitchen, laundry facilities, a hospital, as well as quarters for the nurses and private residence for the superintendent. The facility was which to house 110 residents also had a bomb shelter, small working farm, and a cemetery. Damn, that's a lot. When the doors first opened, when the doors first opened, 20 residents moved in. The residents were typical people with mental illnesses, homeless, or elderly people with no family to speak of. As most of the residents were adults, it was rare that one of the first residents to move in was actually a young boy. According to newspapers from this time, the residents of Hillview Manor, as it would come to be called in the 1970s, were referred to as inmates, not patients, or residents. Up until 1944, the Snyders ran View Manor. It was in that year that the county welfare officials decided the Snyders were no longer competent to run a facility as they were in their 70s.
they were forced they were forced to retire, but allowed to stay in the facility with pensions. Pensions, I think. They were eventually forced to actually vacate Hillview roughly three months after three months later, ending more than thirty years of service to the community. What a slap in the face. The super the new superintendent of the facility became Mantez B. Hogu. So he remained in place until 1973, but he actually resigned due to lack of county support. The following year, an additional remodeling was done at, at the um, request of the county, and there was a new three-story addition added, which allowed for 30 or more new residents. The facility remained o- working in order until 2004, when it could no longer remain open due to financial reasons. So from nineteen twenty from so from nineteen twenty six to two thousand and four, hundreds hundreds of people called Hillview Manor their home. In some cases the facility would be their last home. A number of residents died from natural causes while being housed at the facility. Other people committed suicide while there, and it is said that one person when they hung themselves and others went to the roof of the building, jumping to their death. A percentage of those that died while the, the facility was in use are buried at the Hillview Cemetery with unmarked graves. Reports state that many of those individuals had no records on file, thus the marked graves. Now we're going to talk a little bit into the hauntings. When you mention Hubia Manor to an avid ghost hunter, they will either recount stories of personal or paranormal experiences of the haunted facility or stories they have heard. People interested in Hillview Manor can also find information related to one of the most haunted locations in Pennsylvania, courtesy of multiple investigations performed by by the likes of famous TV ghost hunters, three respectable groups in the paranormal field who have done investigations at Hillview include Ghost Hunters, Ghost Lab, and Ghost Adventures. I don't know what Ghost Lab is. I know the other two. So when Zach and Nick and Aaron from Ghost Adventures went to visit the manor, they walked with a considerable amount of ghostly evidence. Zach made multiple claims of physical contact from the other side. He stated that someone grabbed his arm and another person tugged on his shirt and he made another claim that he felt a hand moving up and down his back. All of his claims, nobody was close enough to do anything to him. A shadow figure was seen on one of the hallways, according to Nick, and the group also recorded roughly a dozen or so understood EVPs. Some EVPs included someone saying, get out of this room. I got a question. I'm Jim. I plan on fixing them. They group, the group also captured an anom- anomaly on camera that set, it set off motion sensors. Other people who have investigated the manor have their own success of seeing ghosts or experiencing some type of paranormal activity. It is not uncommon to hear stories of people hearing doors slam shut, footsteps in the hall, or even voices. 
there have been people who have heard what it sounds like scratching, pipes rattling, and banging. Objects moving on their own from one location to another are relatively common as well. One of the ghosts that numerous people have seen over the years is of that little boy who first showed up when the facility opened. According to reporters, I'm sorry, according to reports, he is roughly six or seven years old and people call him Jeffrey. There is an urban legend attached to him that says, if you see him, you will perish. Oh, that's creepy. Another ghost that haunts the manor is located in the boiler room. He is the older man who does not like anyone in his space and will order people to leave. A woman by the name of Mary Virginia, she once stayed at the manor as well. Records claim that she stayed in room 105 and people have reported to feel her presence. Her room has a bed, a chair, and a bedstand. There are a number of dolls and other items left left for her um, by people who have visited that room. That's kind of nice. The number of EVPs, like I said, of have been captured by people investigating. It's not uncommon for even the um, paranormal investigators to gather people saying things. Two brothers actually went to visit the manor as they used as they used to visit their grandma who actually stayed there and an EVP was captured with someone saying a family nickname. That person with them never would have known. Another distant relative of someone who perished at the facility stated that their grandmother played the piano in the facility. At times, people on investigations have heard an unattended piano being played. Some former employees of the manor have experienced their own things with ghost and paranormal activity. One woman who worked at a nurse had numerous experiences while working. One occasion while walking from the east wing to the west wing, she claimed a very cold and cloudy form passed through her. It did not frighten her, only gave her an incredible chill. On another occasion, on the second floor near the break room, it would be not uncommon for her to see what appeared to be someone walking down the hall, but upon checking things out, nobody was there. When one group of paranormal investigators went to the manor as well, they had, you know, like everybody else, their own chilling experiences. They went to the third floor, they were setting up a video camera, and out of nowhere, they heard the sound of someone running down the hall towards them. The sound stopped just before it reached them. Moments later, the running continued. It only came from a completely different location. People visiting and touring the manor may have countless claims that it is possible to see people staring out at windows of the facility when no one is inside. On one occasion, someone on a tour looked up and into a window and they saw an older woman looking out the window. She smiled and waved at the individual, then vanished after he waved back. Oh, no. Regardless of whoever you are, the majority of people who visit Hallview Manor, it is agreed it is one of the most haunted places in Pennsylvania. And guys, those are our, uh, those are our, 
um, hauntings in Pennsylvania. They were very interesting. I didn't even know half of them even existed. I always knew about Gettysburg um, a little bit, but I didn't know about the other places. So that's pretty interesting. Um, I do hope you enjoyed this episode. You can follow me on Instagram at just a girl in true crime. You can send me an email at just a girl in true crime at gmail.com. You can also like the Facebook page and it's just a girl in true crime. You can also check out my YouTube channel that I'm going to upload my second video because I've been super busy at just a girl in true crime. Um, thank you all for your love and support and this will be coming out Wednesday since I'm pre-recording and everything like that. And then I'm actually about to check on my meatballs and make my homemade dough for my spaghetti. And then we're going to be talking about, um, dang, I forget how to pronounce his name. You know, it's just going to be a surprise. Y'all ain't going to know. Y'all ain't going to know. I'm going to leave you on it. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Remember, spread love, not hate. And I'll be talking to you guys next time.